in my life. And, you know, I just wanted to share with you a little piece of my life. Uh, you know, growing up, like you heard, you know, I became a gang member uh, very young, very young, about 11 years old, I started going to juvenile hall. And, you know, I met the Lord at a very young age, but then I went and left the Lord and backslid for many years. And during that time when I had backslid, <clears throat> my life just was a mess. I started, you know, I had an institutionalized uh, stronghold over my life. I would be going in and out of jails, in and out of prisons. And to me, it was a normal lifestyle. And, you know, it, you know, ever since I was young, I've always been prone to violence. And, you know, it made me a prime candidate for, for the gangs. And as I went on, you know, I fought, stabbed, shot my way to the top until I became a prison gang member and found myself going from institution to institution, found myself going to, to holes, to ad segs, to shoe programs, until I finally ended up in Pelican Bay shoe program. You know, lost, bound for many years in complete isolation, 23 hours a day sitting in the cell by myself. And, you know, we're not talking about days, we're talking about years. And so after, you know, the last time I went to prison, you know, my mind, my body, everything, it had, take, it had taken a toll on me, you know, from, from that lifestyle and the violence and the craziness. And so leaving prison in 2004, like I said in the video, I just wanted to calm down a little bit, just wanted to relax. You know, all the years in prison and all the madness uh, that, that I was involved in, I just wanted to at least get a chance at life. And so paroling in 2004, I left. And I came home, and I just wanted to settle down. I found a, found a wife and began a family. And during that time, because of the ties that I had and what the, the things that I was involved in, and because of the rank and status that I held within the prison gang, my life wasn't my own. And I was still involved in a lot of things and still involved in madness that was going on in the streets, even though I was still trying to do a family thing. And the thing that was missing within my life was the relationship with God. I tried to work, I tried to be cool, I tried to do everything that, that you know, society would consider normal. But those things wouldn't, they, they just continued to fail in my life, wouldn't work out in my life. And you know, in 2007, my brother came home. I have, a, I have many brothers in my family, but the one closest to me, uh, his name's Billy. We were four years apart in age. Growing up, we shared rooms together. We were very close. And, you know, as the years went by and we were getting in trouble, he went off to prison, I went off to prison. And so we communicated, you know, largely through mail. But in 2008, he came home from prison, and he wasn't the same individual that, that I grew up with. You know, we, 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 you know, basically tried to start our lives over very late in life. And, you know, after about a year of him being home, you know, he just couldn't make it. He couldn't make it. He was institutionalized and he struggled a lot. And just one particular time where he, you know, he was, uh, you know, using meth, you know, I, I, till this day I couldn't tell you what he saw or what was going through his mind, only that he was tired of life. And he drove himself, he got himself in his, you know, in a car that he had and went on the 880 and pulled over on the side of the freeway right by the Oakland Coliseum, the little off-ramp. Off and he put a bullet in his head that night. And, you know, I was at that time somewhat stable. I was, I was working. Uh, like I said, I had a family at home, and, and, you know, I was still involved, but I wasn't off the hook. I was still involved, but I wasn't, you know, crazy and running the streets. But, you know, when we got that phone call that my brother had killed himself, you know, I don't think anybody's ever prepared for that. And during that time, one of my brother, my older brother was in prison, uh, and, you know, I was pretty much the only man of the house. 
And so my mother had asked me if I can go pick up his vehicle. And, you know, in, in that day, you know, nobody should ever have to see their brother dead. But, let, you know, that day, I, I, you know, I didn't want to take the car home the way it was. And I remember, you know, having to clean out that car. I remember having to clean up about two inches deep of blood and a brain and other stuff that nobody should ever have to see. Nobody should ever have to experience. And it did something to me. It really did. It did something to me that day. Because it never, it, it just changed things. And I took the home, you know, I cleaned it up, took the car home, and went through the whole funeral process. But mentally something happened. And after that week was done, I just wanted to kind of get my mind off things. And so I took off for the weekend, told my wife I'll be back. And, you know, it was just partying, just getting my mind off things. And I... Uh, smoked a bowl of crystal meth. I had used it in the past, but I had, you know, left it for a while. And, you know, that weekend turned into a year and a half. I would love to tell you that it stopped after that weekend, but it didn't. And in that year and a half, all hell broke loose in my life. What little stability I had just slipped through my hands. I began to lose my family, began to lose my house, lose my car, lose my job. Everything that was normal began to fall apart. And during that year and a half, so much happened. So much was destroyed in my life. People that I was running with day in and day out. I mean, I'm talking about people that I was with every single day began to get murdered. And I think I counted up to eight people, I believe it was, within that year and a half got killed. I'm talking about murder, died in horrible ways, shot in the head, ran over by a car. You know, a number of things where people were just dying all around me. There was death all around me. And, you know, my life just slipped, slipped, and slipped. And during that time, my habit grew worse and worse and worse as I was trying to drown out all that was taking place. And after that year and a half of seeing the craziness that I was involved in and seeing all the things that I was going through, losing my family, losing all the people that I love, people were actually scared to be around me because my mind was not right. I was hearing voices. I was seeing things. And because of the violence that was inside of me, my immediate reaction was to hurt people. My immediate reaction was to, to do something to somebody if I thought something was going on. So nobody wanted to be around. People were scared of me. And so after that year and a half, the, the, you know, I had a best friend who, who passed away. He was running from the cops, had a half ounce of crystal meth on him, and he swallowed it. And then he swallowed that crystal meth, and it burst inside of him. And he died. He died a young man, 25 years old. And, you know, I was one of his pallbearers. And, it, it, you know, I, I showed up to the funeral late. I had been partying. I was on my third day being up. I was probably about 100 pounds lighter, right? Uh, you know, I was, I was on my third day. And so showing up at his funeral, you know, I showed up and, and I was his pallbearer. We were putting him in the ground. And somebody had printed up, you know, when they do the RIP shirts, somebody had blew up a picture. And in that picture, it was me. It was my brother who shot himself in the head. And it was the young man who passed away, swallowing the drugs. And as we're dropping him in the, in the hole, it just caught my attention, that picture, because I'm looking at three men and two had already died. And I was the only one still left alive. And it, as clear as I'm talking today, I, I heard the voice of the Lord speak to me. And tell me, Eric, if you don't stop, you're going to be next. Now, I had been up for a couple days. 
So <laughs> for those of you that know what I'm talking about, you hear things. So I just kind of wrote it off to being up for a couple of days. Well, the rest of the day continued, but that night I went home and I went back to my room, but over and over and over it kept replaying in my head, Eric, if you don't stop, Eric, if you don't stop, Eric, if you don't stop. And I had reached a point in my life where I was tired. I was tired of prison. I was tired of the streets. I was tired of the madness. I was tired. I was physically tired. I was emotionally tired. I was just, I, I was in such a state that I couldn't stop. I wanted to stop. I wanted to change. Like many of you want to change, but I just couldn't. I couldn't stop. And as I sat there hour after hour, you know, I just, I, I, I got to the point where I just, man, I got to do something. I got to do something, but what can I do? I'm so addicted. I was shooting up at that time probably about an eight ball a day. It's about three and a half grams a day, sticking a needle in my arm every hour just to, just to keep normal. And at that time, as I sat there in that room and God began to minister to me, the thing of it was, I was in a backslidden state, so I knew God. I knew the power of God, and I knew what God can do in a person's life. And as I sat there and I reached that point of hopelessness, I reached that point of being tired, I said, man, you know what? I know God can change me. I know that if anybody can take this habit, if anybody can change what I'm going through, God can. And so I said, you know what? Right there in that room, I made a decision. I made a decision. I said, man, I got to get God back in my life. And right there as I was sitting alone in a drug-fueled state, tired of life, I got down on my knees. And I got down on my knees and I just began to cry out. I said, God, help me. Please help me because I can't stop. Please help me. And as I was on my knees, the power of God came over me. It felt like a warm touch from heaven over and over and over and over began to touch my life. And it, and it, and it, it was so overwhelming. The power of God was so strong that I actually had to stand up because it was too much. I stood up, and here's the crazy thing. Now, I know this doesn't happen to everybody, but it happened to me. I stood up. Now, remember, I'd been partying for a couple days. So I was high when I got on my knees. And when I got up, the power of God had been so strong. The best way I can describe it is that I took a drink of Starbucks coffee, and I was completely sober. Completely sober. I'm not going to lie to you, it freaked me out. <laughs> it freaked me out. And I just knew it. At that moment, I felt God. And I felt God, again, speak to my heart and tell me, Eric, you never have to go back if you don't want to. But it's your choice. And I walked around, freaked out because I was sober. <laughs> I walked around the room, and I said, this is it. I'm done. And I got on my knees, and again, I couldn't tell you if I was there for minutes or hours, but God just, this love, wave after wave after wave began to flow through me. And I felt bondage just being broken, mind state being broken. I mean, it was just the power of God. The power of God that overcame me at that time. And I'm here to tell you tonight that, listen, that wasn't it. I'd love to tell you that was it. But it was the start. The miracle that started that night. That was seven years ago. Seven years ago, God did something in that room. 
God did something in my mind and in my heart that was so powerful. It was stronger than crystal meth. It was stronger than a prison gang. It was stronger than the madness that I was involved in. That completely changed my life. Completely changed my life. And I want to tell you today that I know some of you, you feel you're hopeless. In a situation that seems impossible. But listen, I've experienced the resurrection power. The resurrected Christ came into that room and delivered my life. Delivered me from drug addiction. Delivered me from gang violence. Delivered me from madness. And I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with this. That day, I made a decision to change. Now listen, God will do the miracle, but it's going to take a commitment in order to continue to change. And what I did that day is I made a commitment to the Lord. And I said, God, if you can do this, then I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to get myself in a place that I can get the help that I need. At that time, like I said, there was a lot of things going on in my life. I was still having a deal with the death of my brother. I hadn't mourned properly, right? There was a lot of things. I was still hearing voices, right? I still was smoking cigarettes at the time. A lot of things were going on in my life. Me and my wife weren't even on talking terms. We couldn't even be in the same room without fighting each other, literally fighting each other. And at that time, like I said, I just knew that I needed help. And so what I did is I committed myself to going to church. I made the commitment, and I'm here to tell you that it's not easy to serve God. If anybody tells you that, they're lying. It has been hard the past seven years serving God. Have I been perfect? No. I can write a book on failure, which I might one day. <laughs> I could write a book on it. But I want to tell you something. That commitment that I made to the Lord, I've honored it. I've honored it for the last seven years, and I plan on honoring it for the rest of my life. And since then, since that time, the death destruction became life. God began to surround me with life. God began to surround me with peace. God began to surround me with blessings. And here today, I stand before you with a family. I stand before you with a home. I stand before you with a job. I stand before you a man of God. And I'm here to tell you that if God can do it for me, then God can do it for you. That if God can bring me out of darkness, then God can bring you out of darkness. It's the power of Jesus. It's not a church. It's not a ministry. It's not a person. It is Jesus Christ that changes a life, that restores a marriage, that restores a mind. That's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's why he rose. That's why he died for you and for me. Give them an op Give them a chance. Give them an opportunity to do a miracle today. I am a treasure out of darkness. God bless you. My name is Aziza Brumfield. My lifestyle was crazy. I grew up in Oakland in a single-parent home. I grew up in 65th Village, and back then it was a lot of uh, fights. It was a lot of drugs being trafficked through 65th and 69th. Um, I remember growing up, going to school, and it was 71st, turfing against 65th, so it was a lot of crazy things going on. I mean, my experience, like I said, I grew up in a single home family, so my mom was always at work in San Francisco. I pretty much did whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to, 
And um, that opened the doors for a lot of different things to happen. I cut school all the time. I always had company. I always had the guys in our house. I always had the girls hanging out in our house. Um, and that led to a lot of different things um, taking place in my life. At the age of 13, I was raped. Um, I was taken up to King of State Hills, and then my life was threatened uh, after I was raped. Um, I became pregnant. I didn't know I was pregnant, but little did I know the person who raped me, uh, he was one of the biggest drug dealers in Oakland who moved a lot of drugs, and uh, my life was threatened. And if I went to the police, I would be killed. I went into the women's home in 1995. I had three kids, so two of them stayed with my mom, and they allowed my daughter to come with me. I was a first. Uh, they opened the doors uh, for a mother with a child, which was a blessing. But because I was so used to doing what I wanted, I had kids at a young age. I was emancipated at a young age. And for people who don't know, emancipation means I went before a judge and got legal right to do things as an adult at the age of like 16, 15 or 16. Um, so I really didn't have a lot of people telling me what to do, even teachers. They couldn't control me. So being inside the home was a bit challenging. Um, I had a smart mouth. I stayed on discipline. My director was like, you have 5,000 lines, and I want them done by the time I get back. Or I was always cleaning up the backyard. I was always in trouble. Um, but one thing that did draw me was I would watch how the women prayed. And I was like, man, I wish I knew how to pray like that. I would try to get on my knees and, and pray like and sound like them. But I didn't know that that was the anointing of God. Like, you can't just, like, copy somebody and try to pray like them. It was the Spirit of God. So growing up in the streets of Oakland, uh, encounter many different situations where my life could have been taken, where I've experienced hurt and pain. I know that God is real, and because of that, I am a treasure out of darkness. Can you... I want to let you know, amen, that at the age of 17, I was smoking some weed with this lady, and after her lacing the weed, a couple of days later, I almost jumped off a bar. I want to let you know that at the beginning of my life, the enemy had a plan to destroy me, just like he has a plan to destroy you. But I don't want to focus on that today, but I do want to let you know that I'm only in my right mind because of the grace of God. And as you heard on the screen that I had a daughter at a very young age because I was raped. And then after that, I got into a relationship and it was very unhealthy and I had children out of that relationship. And then I got married and I had a couple of more children and a couple of more children and you could keep counting. <laughs> but I wanna let you know that I wanna focus today on family, amen. I didn't grow up in a healthy household. I didn't have my father. I never knew who my father was. And my mom was always busy working. And I promised myself that when I grew up, I would never allow things to happen to me that happened to my children. Like, I was held at gunpoint a couple of times by guys. I was raped. I mean, these are just not normal things that grow up when you have a mom and a dad who cares in a household, let alone a family that's serving God. So when I had my children, I always fought for my children. And I don't say that to brag, but I was always there for them. And, you know, my kids would come home and say, such and such is messing with me, and I would go up to the school, to the child, and get in their face. And even when I got saved and I started doing what I wanted to do when I was young, I know Sister Chelica Vouch when she used to work in um, Oakland at the office, and I was telling her one time, my son Christian, 
who passed away, I, I told her, I was like, there's these boys up there, and these boys like in the third and fourth grade, and they messing with Christian, and they trying to jump him. So I went to the school, and it was a whole group of boys right there, and it was my son coming up, and they didn't know I was with him, and they began to mess with him. But by the time I finished talking to them, they never messed with him again. And I used to do things like that for my, I've always just fought for my kids. And so I want to go into the story of losing my son. When we were asked to um, give our testimony and use a story, I was not going to use this story. I, was, I just did not want to. Um, but I will let you know that I was laying at home in the bed, and it was like 12-something at night, and somebody called my daughter Daisy's phone, and uh, she said Christian got shot. And I think she said Christian was dead. Now, you don't usually get phone calls to tell you that your child is dead, right? If you watch TV, they knock on the door, they come tell you. And so I'm laying in the bed, and I'm like, I need to hear from myself again. So I asked the lady, could she repeat what she said? And I was like, well, who are you? And she was like, oh, I'm sheriff such and such, and, you know, I need to let you know that Christian's dead. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's like 12-something at night. And I just, I couldn't wrap my mind around that. From everything leading up to when I saw him earlier that day, he got off of work at the airport. He came home, and I saw him early, and I was like, what are you doing here? Because he never comes home early. So always, I, if people that are close to me know my kids, I've had them at a young age, so that's how our relationship is. It's like that, except for Maya. <laughs> I, I talked to them like a brother and a sister because uh, we kind of, like, grew up together. And so I was like, what are you doing here? And he was like, oh, I'm about to leave. And I remember him leaving, and I was sitting in my car, because he asked me for some money. And I said, well, he had a good job. So I said, well, how much money do you need? And he said, I need $100. And I was like, well, what do you, I'm like, dang, all I got is $100. Like, I have something to do with that. And I just went shopping, so I only have a little bit of money. What do you need $100 for? And uh, he was like, I just, to go out, I need to do something. And so then I went to my car in the front, and I never forget when he walked out the house, it was like really hot. And he had on his, his big old, like, Nike jacket, a really big black jacket. And I was like, uh, I was sitting in the car, and I was like, all right, Christian, like, what are you going to do? And he was like, I'm going up the street. And I don't understand what prompted me, you know, I would say the Holy Spirit, but to ask him that question. And then he walked away. And then I never saw him again. And then I got the call that night. And so I needed to be where my kids is at. And that's why I brought out the point that I've always fought for my kids. And so I'm calling around trying to figure out where my son is at, who shot him? How did he get shot? I called my family, and, you know, if your family is not saved, they'll find their own answers, you know? And so I'm like, man, I came to Victory Army Charter the Bay in 2013, and he got shot in 2014, and I'm so grateful for that. But before that, I'll back up a little. I got saved at the age of 17, and I was in Victory Outreach Oakland for many years. And today, I said, God, I didn't write anything. I don't know what to say to these people, Lord. I'm nervous. What do you want me to say? But see, today, I believe that God wants me to let you know that if you are living your life today in and out of church, just for yourself, but then you have a family, then please be careful. I encourage you because I was serving God. And it's not about, you know what, it's not about man when you serve God. It's all about having a personal, personal relationship with God. It's not about this person didn't look at me, this, pe this person didn't speak to me. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but your relationship with God is about you and him. It's not about anything else. And you cannot allow God to move you because then when you allow God to move you, you break the legacy, you break the promises, and then you're out of God's perfect will and things begin to happen. And unfortunately, not only to you, but also it can affect your children. And so, you know, when that all happened, thank God I was back in this ministry because I was still serving God, 
but every ministry is different, you know? And this ministry is like, you know, they're like, where you at? Come be a part. That's not a bad thing. It's a blessing to serve God. That's not a bad thing to be sold out for God. That's not a, I'd rather give my time and be super tired serving God, putting my hands in the plow, than to have one foot in and one foot out and then watch my child's life get took. So I'll speed up. So, you know, we got to the hospital. It was like 2 o'clock. And the, the, the hospital was flooding with people. These people called me. Um, it was his friend. And I'm like, who is, and, you know, his, his tone. Who is this tone? You know, I'm very strict. If, you know, ask my kids, if you, I'm very strict. And so I didn't let my kids have company in and out. I did that when I was younger. So everything I did, I tried to do different with my children. I tried. I really did. And I didn't have company inside and out with them. I would like, I'd be like, no, who are they? They smoke drugs. They do drugs. No. I was just like. I don't know, I was really strict. And so um, I'm like, who is Tone? But then when they said Anthony, I said, oh, I know him. Well, my son, I said he was a knucklehead. He did things. He was never on the corner selling drugs. That wasn't Christian. Christian was always going to school. Christian was always excelling. Christian, did Christian smoke weed? Yes. Christian had friends that were not serving God. Christian had friends that were you know, doing whatever they were doing. And I remember he got arrested. And the police said, come to the police station and pick up your son. And I said, can you please arrest him? And they were like, no, he comes from a good home. And I'm like, but you don't even know me. And he said, but I can tell from the difference from him and everybody rap sheet that he's running with that we pulled up, he has no priors, he has nothing. And that happened on two different occasions. And so he would get influenced by different people. But Christian was a leader. And so... When we got to the hospital, the guy lied to us. He said, we're coming down the stairs out of his room to tell you what happened. And time went by like 15, 20 minutes later. He goes, oh, we're on the freeway. So then I already knew that was one lie. So I'm like, okay, he's lying. And then my son never made it to a room. He died at the house. They revived him. And then they took him to the hospital where he died in five minutes. So it was not a homicide. It, was, it, it wasn't looked at as a homicide at first because they revived him. So I had to have all these things explained to me. And in the meantime, my mind is just going and going. I got my family, everybody over there. They're ready to go kill him. They're already ready. They sit in there. They're ready. And I'm like, okay. I was like, um, I said, please, no retaliation. That's what I told my family. And they're looking at me like they know me. I used to do crazy stuff. And I never jump out of cars to fight people for my kids. My family knows. And I was just like, no, because if you guys do that, then they're going to come right here where we're at, and I'm going to have to move far away. Then they're going to come shooting at you guys. So they went to the people's house. They found some of the guys. They beat them up in the park. They got some of the answers. They went to the house, kicked in the door um, to get their own evidence because it was shady the way they covered it up. And I had to live through all of this, saved, trusting God, and, and they ready with their guns. They're sitting there. They're all ready. And then a dude came to my house the next day with my son's coat with blood on it. And he was like, we, we want to give you this. And, but he had his body, you know, he in the gang, so he had somebody with him. And I'm looking at him. And I took it. And my brother was like, I can do it right now. And I'm like, you know, no, and all this and that. Because the street's talking, and they're watching us. We're watching them. I'm living in fear. I'm trying to trust God. I'm trying to, you, it was just crazy. It was crazy. But with the point I want to get to today, and like I said, I want to encourage somebody today, that you got your family to think about. I can't go backwards and say I wish I should have. I can't. I wanted to kill myself. I didn't want to live. I wanted to jump in front of a car. But I began to talk to different people who lost their children. And one lady who was saving, she told me, you know, what happened to her son and how the San Leandro uh, Police Department wasn't doing what they should have. I went through the same thing. But the grace of God, I was walking through my house, and I got a scripture out of nowhere. I didn't even know the scripture. Uh, Romans 12, 19 says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Repay no one evil for evil. 
So I told Sister Chella that I got this scripture. I forgot I told her, and I had wrote it down, and then I changed my scripture on the wall, and she brought me back to that. And she said, Z, remember you said God gave you that scripture. So I began to pray that scripture, and then I began to read in Proverbs where God does not delight in unbalancing scales, that if a man commits murder, let him be a fugitive until his death, unless he gives his life to God. And so here's this young man running from here, running from there, running from this state. And I prayed to God, not an audible prayer, but a prayer like Hannah. And I was like, okay, God, now we kind of know what happened. We're piecing $100 with the person who's calling him. All this, just all these things. And I prayed something, and I forgot I prayed it. And then one day my daughter told me, my daughter, Rajanae, she said, two of the guys came to the door together. So that was the guy who bought the $100, and that was the guy who was supposed to be his best friend who, uh, who shot him. And I said, okay, so now we need justice. We need justice. And the detective, he was, um, he told me, and I had to put my daughter on the phone, my oldest daughter. He told me. He said, I understand what you're saying and I see what you see, but we need the evidence. And in this type of case, because they revived him and he didn't pass away at the house, that's why it wasn't as a homicide. So now we had to treat it like this and it's not right. So I put my, my daughter got on the phone with him and he retired. And they told him, but before he retired, his boss, she was first on the scene too. She was the one who told me. So they wanted to make it, they, it was whatever the witnesses said. Oh, he walked in with a gun, he brandished it, he shot himself, right? The gunshot was there. So I'm analyzing everything like a detective because I'm like that. And I'm like, this is like not right. And so um, we found out, I mean, they were lying. It was so many gaps. They wanted to put suicide. I prayed and fasted with a couple of women in this church. And by the grace of God, when I, she caught me, the, um, the lady at the corners, because the corners investigation is different than a police department. And she said, you know, they put it as suicide. And I go, but it's not a suicide. You guys already know that. Everybody that spoke for, about him at his job, you know, just the whole thing. So they revert. It, takes t- it could take 10 years or longer if they deem it as a suicide or whatever they want to. It took two months with fasting and prayer that they removed that off of there. And she said, thank you for your tenacity. Thank you for your, you know, just as a mother standing up for your son. And let's give God a hand for that because that's not light. I know some people cannot relate, and I don't wish that on anybody, but I want to let you know that God is real, that I have come amongst other women who's lost their children. I've gone to groups and meetings because I need that for my sanity. I need that to be able to be around a community that understands what I'm going through. Amen? And um, some of them, they're like, I haven't been to church in 10 years, and it's not about comparing, but I'm just like, whoa. Um, Some of them just gave up on God, but God didn't, it wasn't like that with me. It was hard to come back to church. I'm not going to lie. I didn't want to be in church. I didn't want to be here. And I remember I came back to a service, and a sister was at the door, and she was like, oh, sister, it's okay. Um, and I'm just, I'm being real with you guys. And she was like, it's okay. We're, you know, come inside. And everybody was worshiping and praising. And I was like, I don't want to be around this. Like, I don't want to be here. I'm not happy. And I remember, and I used Sister Chella because she was there a lot. She was there a lot, especially in the beginning. And she would call, see, what do you need? What do you need? And I wasn't answering her calls. And then she said, just tell me what you need. And I said, I need everything to stop. I need everybody to leave me alone. I need everybody to stop asking me questions. I just needed to stop. And, um, and you know, it just, it was hard. It was really hard. But being invited to speak about it, doing songs in memory of my son, those things helped me heal. And I will say that one thing, I talked to Pastor Stevon. They're so faithful to God. And it was like 10 or 11 o'clock at night in his house, and he, he made a statement, and he said, that I, I want to say this with all, like, compassion, but he, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, no matter how big or how great your pain is, 
you know, like that God is still God, you know, but it was the way he said it. And I have had people give me scriptures that was just cut. I'm like, that scripture wasn't meant for that. Thank God I knew the word. But when he spoke that, it made me look at it in a whole different light. And that's the only reason I'm standing here today. I'm still saved. I'm still sane. I didn't turn to drugs. I didn't turn to alcohol. I didn't turn to anything else. I didn't, but God, because that's all I knew how to do was pray. That's how, that was, that's the relationship that I built with God when I almost jumped off a bar. Uh, just like this, the line was yellow, and I began to jump. Something was pushing me. A force was pushing me, and that, that day I knew heaven and hell was real. I was seeing things and hearing things. That day I knew heaven and hell was real, and so just like that situation I went through, God came through, and I'm still being healed from this. I am an unfinished product, but by the grace of God, I'm in my right mind. By the grace of God, my desire is to serve God. Nothing more, nothing less. My desire is to see the promises and the legacy inherited through my children. And no matter what I go through, I'm going to continue to stand. And the enemy tries. He tries all the time. But then I think about who God is. If he's the creator of heaven and earth, then I want to pray. Because prayer is nothing more than communication with God then I want to talk to God. So I, I leave you with that today to know that God is real and there's nothing too impossible for God. There's nothing too big. There's nothing too, too small. That my life is not perfect, but because of who he is, I'm able to stand before you. God bless you and have a great day.
Before coming to Christ, um, I was heavily involved with drug addiction, uh, with that, everything that goes with it, the cells of drug addiction, uh, gangs, violence, uh, being brought up in a neighborhood, and then with the cells, of course, many incarcerations and prison gang activities, and these are what I was involved with. There was always alcohol and drugs involved. But I actually wanted to go to school. I actually wanted to learn. I loved reading encyclopedias. Uh, if you ask me what I wanted for Christmas, it was the World Almanac, and I loved studying. But outside my house, that wasn't really accepted too well. You know, the gangs and violence was very strong. And so out of peer pressure, I wasn't, I didn't want to get pushed around. So I kind of learned how to become the bad guy in the neighborhood, so to speak. At 16 years old, I started a, a gang called the Old Alvarado Boys, and it's still functioning today. And <clears throat> so through that, there uh, violence. Uh, and there was, uh, uh, I had gotten arrested for a couple of stabbings. And so uh, five years is the term that the judge gave me. I can remember when he gave me the term. Uh, he said, get an education. And I remember sitting in a courthouse because I wasn't paying attention to nothing. It was my first time on a carpeted floor. And I remember tripping on how comfortable the carpet floor felt and the swivel chair. And then I heard, get an education. So I tuned in. I said, excuse me, Your Honor, how much time did you just give me? And he told me it was five years. So that was the first five-year term I had. Um, prison life never scared me uh, pretty much I was raised with a lot of violence I was taught how to box since I was a kid uh, I grew up in a neighborhood where you had to be pretty tough and so prison life as soon as I went behind bars at 16 I got my first five years um, I felt like I arrived I felt like that's what I was there for however it, uh, I'm a slow learner I was a knucklehead and so at the age of 39 was the last time I got, or 38, I got sentenced. 
uh, for my last time, I, I got out at the age of 41. But now I had three children, I was a single parent, and I started really looking at my life and I started seeing that everything was a lie. Um, I gave my life up to the Lord, came to Victory Outreach where I knew I was supposed to be. And um, I've been directing the men's home, the recovery home now for a little over five years. And so there I'm able to use my gifts and talents for the real purpose why God gave them was to build and lead men and make warriors and soldiers for his army and to help men uh, find their purpose and calling in life. And I happen to have been now a licensed minister for uh, almost three years for Victory Outreach. I am a treasure out of darkness. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm Pastor Greg Martinez. I'm a pastor here with Victory Outreach, Heart of the Bay. But I always wasn't a treasure. I was a low-down, dirty, funky, can't-be-trusted dope fiend. I poked needles in my arms all day long. I loved getting high. That's all I loved. I'm not gonna go into how I arrived at being a drug addict, but I love getting high. But I wasn't too good at hustling. Every time I stole, I got busted. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be out only a minute and back going in. You know, I did more, probably most of my adult life behind bars because I wasn't that good of a thief. And but I loved getting loaded. And because I loved getting loaded and wasn't too good at stealing and didn't like being sick, most of my drug addiction, I was sick and had to get a fix. Sick, have to get a fix. Sick, have to get a sick. And heroin addiction, when you get sick, it's a terrible thing. Your stomach cramps, you're throwing up, you poop in your pants. Okay, except for me, other people did. <laughs> so I decided one time to go straight. I tried to go straight. That picture where I was lying on the ground with my kids was a program in the jailhouse where they let your kids come in and you try to get things together. And I went through a drug program in there. And upon my release, I tried to make it straight through the 12 steps. And it worked for a little bit. I got a job, I stacked some money, I got an apartment, I had my wife, I had my kids, my kid's mom. At that time, I wasn't with Debbie yet, okay? No, 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 this gets groovy in a minute, just hang in there, <laughs> hang in there. And life was going pretty good, and I was making really good money. At I don't remember what year it was, but about 50 bucks an hour wasn't too bad, okay? But they had to give me it in two checks, okay? My boss didn't want his family to find out because they ran the office. But I was doing roofing. Well, he had an, a heart attack. The family found out how much I was getting paid. I got laid off. But now I have a house. I got cars. I got a family. And I promised everybody I was gonna take care of my family, so what am I gonna do? And by that time, I started chipping again. I started using drugs again. And I know 
that I can put all that money <clears throat> that I saved into a spoon, no problem. I've already put a whole house in a spoon a couple times. I've already put a lot of money in a spoon. So I said, you know what, I better start dealing because I don't want to go back to stealing and I don't want to go back to thieving, so I better go back to dealing. And like Eric made a commitment to God, I made a commitment to myself that I wasn't going to use more than I made. So I had to flip my money before I used too much. And at times my habits started going a little bit high, so I went to methadone to cut it back down, and I started flipping my money. And it was flipping. I started being successful. I was a terrible thief, a terrible liar, a terrible everything else, but man, I started dealing pretty good. I think what started happening was everything that I had learned over all the years of criminal activity started coming together. And I started becoming successful. And I started getting known by certain people. I had stopped lying. I started being honest with people. I started becoming trusted or honor amongst thieves, so to speak. And so I started getting recognized by certain people and they started bringing me up. One of them had to go do time, the guy I worked for. I had to go do time, he had to go do time. So he left me the business. When I got the business, now I had from Oakland to San Jose, mainly, mostly, of all the heroin, most of the heroin, excuse me, a lot of the heroin. Okay, I'm not gonna try to say I dealt most of the heroin, but a lot of the heroin from San Jose to Oakland was mine. I flipped it and I built it. When he got released from San Quentin, I picked him up with a car and I gave him a big issue of dope. Now, that was on the streets. In my house, I had a different life. I tried to raise my kids, I try to teach them right from wrong. I try to have a whole different atmosphere at home. Where I lived at, I even drove an old funky car in the city of Fremont where the police wouldn't know who I was. And I try to look like I had an eight to five job. I would wear blue uniforms and leave every day like if I was going to work. Trying to give a front that I was a, a businessman, so to speak. Life was good. We were going wherever we wanted to go. I was buying my kids whatever they wanted, taking them places, staying in embassy suites for weeks, months on end, riding in limousines, not in Fremont though, out of town. Life was good for the family. Looked like everything was going on. Great. Then all of a sudden, their mother got sick and she had cancer. She had cancer when she was a kid now it was back. And so I had to pull a lot of strings and got her into Stanford Hospital. She had a surgery, she went home, or they did some things and she went home. But things started just snowballing, going all bad. Everything just started going all bad. Everywhere I went, they were pulling me over. They were just stopping me. Redwood City, they'd pull me over. San Jose, they'd pull me over. Wherever I was, I was getting pulled over. And you know that walkie-talkie or that radio works fast. Wherever I got pulled over, my name would come back over it. Next thing you know, they got me and they're searching the car. And they're searching everything. So I had some cases going on. 
But of course, we hire lawyers, correct? You know, and that kind of lifestyle. And my lawyer represented me. I didn't have to go to court. But one day, it was Christmas Eve or so, and my attorney tells me he can't make it for me to go. I still don't know the day, and some of you have used my lawyer, okay? If he set me up or not. Because I had to go to court that day, and I took Matt with me, and we're sitting there, and I could feel extra deputies coming in. And Matt must have been about 11. He felt it. He said, Daddy, let's get out of here. I started looking at my life that day. I started seeing. I looked down at my son, and he had coveralls, you know, like the Okies wear. But the essays flop them down. And he had his flop down, and he had his hair slicked back. And this was many years ago. He had a cell phone <laughs> right there, you know, a deadly weapon on his hip. And I looked, and I seen me. And, you know, Matt's a good kid. But I could see that if he was going to stay in my influence, he's going to become a bad guy. And I said, son, you have to ride your own beef. And so I stayed in the courtroom. Sure enough, when they called my name, all the sheriffs, they all got behind me, and they cuffed me. They're taking me in. I asked them, look after my son. They were trying to keep the money I had on me, you know, and, and all that. So fast forward, I get out. They're still pulling me over everywhere. I'm bailing out. I'm bailing out. I'm paying all kinds of stuff doing all this, their mom's in Stanford Hospital, she comes home, she ends up dying, everything starts going to pot. I don't know what to do. I got three kids, all right? She always took care of the house. I thought I was a man. I thought I was a good dude for bringing money home. I didn't know what to do. I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know how to be a mother. Nothing. And it seemed like in my heart, all I thought was, what do I do? I get a phone call. My baby sister. She says, hey, you got to go do some time. I said, yeah, I do. See, I didn't think I had anything coming no more. I didn't think my family should love me. Nobody. I've hurt everybody. Nobody should do nothing. So when I thought, what am I going to do with my kids? I couldn't picture nothing. I couldn't come up with an answer. She calls. She says, hey, you got to go do some time. I said, yeah. What are you going to do with your kids? I said, well, Miha, I don't have a clue. There ain't nobody I can ask for a favor. And she said, we'll take them. She was going to church. Okay, I wasn't. So I go, finally, I'm, I'm running around, and I'm postponing my court dates, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. But everything's going bad. Everything's going bad. Everything's going downhill. I can't 
do nothing right. Next thing you know, I have to go do my time. And I remember going in there, and I'm trying to function uh, 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 in there, but everything I'm saying, everything that's coming out of my mouth sounds like a lie. Everything. You know, I, I believed in this stuff. You know, all my life was a lie, but the, the lie started getting revealed. You see, all that gang stuff and all that, I started seeing it as a lie. A guy came to my cell and he says, hey, uh, anyway, I, I recognized him. His dad was a friend of mine and he wanted some education and all I could think about was who would I want my friends or what would I want my friends teach my kids, you see? And he wanted to learn about prison life. And how can I teach this guy about prison life if I said I loved his father? You know what I mean? When he told me who his dad was, I said, man, I love your dad, man. Your dad's a good dude. And I thought, if you loved me, what would I want you to teach my son? And so that's when I started realizing everything was a lie. I had a cellie in there. And he wrote all these girls' letters. Some of you guys know who he is, okay? And every night he wrote all these girls' letters, about 10 letters a night. And he said, you want to write one? I said, no, man, you look like a pervert. <laughs> you know, 30-something writing 18-year-old girls, okay? You're probably one of those perverts in the nightclub with your shirt open and gold chains <laughs> and a sports car. That ain't my style. I'm a one-girl guy. You follow me? And uh, he says, hey, how come you don't have no pictures of your kids in here? And I'm trying to function. You see, I knew Eric in San Quentin. I was there when they were recruiting him. I remember seeing them recruit him. And I wanted to go tell him, Eric, man, it ain't what it is. Because I started getting tired. I was on my way out. He was on his way in. I could see you loving it. Eric was loving it. He had the prettiest, biggest smile, looking this way and looking that way. And I said, there ain't going to be no talking him out of it, man. And so my cellie asked me, where's the picture of my kids? And I couldn't function looking at my kids. I can't have love and that ugliness at the same time. So I opened an envelope that they sent me with pictures of my kids in there. And I was one of those guys that wept at night in my pillow. I started crying. I was looking at my kids, and reality hit me. You're a dad with three kids, and you're in prison thinking you're somebody. Huh? What kind of dad are you really? And, you know, thinking you're a man walking. You know, anyway, I don't want to show you how I walked and all that. You know, and my perfect V and my stroll, you know, and, and all that. But I thought I was the man. And it started hitting me. You got kids that somebody else, thank God, is taking care of them. And you're over here walking around thinking you're all that and a bag of chips. Dude, you got something twisted. And the lie started getting revealed. And I started seeking the truth out. And that little pervert in my cell, he prayed at night. 
he would write all these girls and then pray. And he said, you want to pray? I said, man, you're a pervert. <laughs> but that next morning after I seen my kids and that I knew I wanted the truth was God. Okay? And I'm not trying to throw Eric in the mix, but I was in the home with his brother Alfonso in the 80s. And so I knew that the answer was Jesus Christ. I knew that the truth was God. And I knew that I had to get on my knees no matter what. And every morning, the tear tender had to walk by your cell. And I knew that if I got on my knees, word was going to go up. I already had enemies up there because all of their old ladies loved me. I had the dope. Okay? I had a couple friends up there. But if I got on my knees, but I knew something had to happen. I knew that I was going to have to get on my knees and not care what anybody thought, not care about anything else, that I was going to have to give my whole heart to Jesus Christ. So I got on my knees, and I told God, and I raised my hands, and I said, man, if you can change me, let me know, and I'll serve you. But I don't want to be one of these flakes and I don't want to be one of these phonies that come in and come out because I've seen too many of them make sure that I will never leave again. And i seen a, a heavy bag. And, that, and so I called somebody up that fought years ago, and he picked me up with Debbie's brother-in-law, Debbie's twin sister's husband. They picked me up. And took me to the house. They were doing N.A. stuff. And they were training boxers. It was in the newspapers. And so I got a place for a boxing club. I got another place for a boxing club. Built it. It was going pretty off. That kid you seen me in the ring there, he took the silver gloves. But the thing is this. I should have lost all my kids. Matt should be a dope addict or in prison. My daughters should be working the streets. Okay? All my friends, kids and all that, they're all no good, so to speak. Right? We know they're good, but their lives are terrible. And they have all kinds of kids from all kinds of daddies, no teeth. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's where my kids should be. And that's where my life should be. But because of Jesus Christ, He saved me, and he saved my kids. A couple months ago, I preached about where the enemy stole everything from King David. And in order for him to recover, there was a journey and a fight. And he journeyed, and he fought, and he recovered all. But he didn't only recover what the enemy stole him, but he also got extra. Okay? Not only did I get or have my kids back, not only do I got my life back, huh? And my dignity back, and my respect back. Not only now I get to be a father, not only now I get to be a son, 
Not only now do I get to be a brother, a good one, one that knows how to do it, okay? I got all that back, but I got some more. You see, my kid's mama died. I got a new wife. I got a new wife. I got new children. I got new family. The Camachos. Huh? Okay. I got the Lord, the Lord is able to restore everything that you lost. You see, once you're tired of living a lie. But you don't have to go as far as Brother Eric and I have gone. You don't have to go that far to know that that life is a lie. See, we were ignorant or knuckleheads. We had to learn hard ways. And for some reason, God let us stay alive. But you don't have to learn the hard way. You can learn from our examples. That life is a lie. You see, I always knew I was a warrior. I always knew that I loved to fight. But that's not what we're called to fight, other people or other territories. But we're called to fight a spiritual battle. You don't have to go that far. And if you have and if you lost something, Jesus Christ can restore everything and more to your life. I'm a treasure out of darkness. But I think I'm even more. I think I'm even more, if I may. You see, ladies, when you buy jewelry, do you put it in a shoebox and hide it? No, heck no. You put it on your neck and you show it off. You see, that's what a treasure is. A treasure is to be adorned and to show the world something priceless. You and I are treasures, people. To show the world on God's neck that he still finds things that are buried and hidden in dark places. But when you find something out of a dark place, you don't put it on your neck. You got to clean it up. You got to shape it up. And you have to put it in the right settings. And then now you could adorn it. And that's a treasure. But God wants you to be more than a treasure. Our promised scripture, Isaiah 45, 2 and 3. Promises to give you treasures hidden in dark places. He says, so that you will know that I am God. If I may, real quick, if I may, he says, so that you will know. God wants you to get to the knowing place. Huh? He will show you so that you will know, but he won't show you until you go. You see, he told Cyrus, go, and I will show so that you will know. But I'm going to tell you there's another promise scripture, and that's Isaiah 54. And he's talking about an inheritance. And he's talking about descendants. I don't want to be a treasure only. You're a treasure when you first get saved and get cleaned up. And now we could be used to show the world about God's saving power. But he wants you to become a descendant and an inheritor. That means that you become a son of God. That you become a child of God. I'm a child of God today. 
I'm a son of God today. I'm an inheritor today. You see, I take my father's business serious. Hallelujah. Because why? I take my father's business serious because I'm grateful. I know I should be dead. I know my children should be lost. But he saved me. He saved me. He saved me. He saved me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for your time and God bless you.